Welcome back to The Human Exception. This week, Hallie tells us about an LGBT hero, Charles Silverstein, the guy that made being gay not a mental illness. And Courtney's going to tell us about the weird and haunting sounds of Alaska, including the horns of Anchorage, which no one knows the source of. There will be foul language, but there will also be minor references to the AIDS crisis, so please listen with care. I made a friend last night. Oh. <laughs> what? Mm. Oh. He was being so good. So cute. He's always so good. He's just <laughs> so He's needy. Just so dumb. It's perfect. <laughs> He's so dumb. <laughs> he oh, does he I... doesn't get any of the brain cells ever. He and Tish can share the one. Yeah, and Tishin has the lion's share of it, unfortunately. Which he has learned to like. Tishin is not very smart, but that boy does know how to open the closet, the child lock on the closet. Oh, that's scary! <laughs> cool. Yeah, your, your, your cat's more smarter than a fifth grader. <laughs> cat's smarter than I am. Yeah, how about you, baby? Um, so we're like 8,500 downloads, by the way. Oh, damn. Nice. Yeah. That's so Excuse many. Excuse me? Right? 8,500. Y'all, it's just four nerds sitting around microphones telling each other stories. <laughs> it's not. <laughs> People like that, apparently. Apparently. I guess we're going to really have to find uh, something to read after we finish my immortal up, aren't we? Oh, definitely. <laughs> oh, crap. Okay. All right. Fun story. My tattoo artist read my immortal out loud while she was getting her chest piece done. <laughs> to her tattoo artist. <laughs> and then was explaining it to her partner. I was like, we should be friends in real life. Why do you live so far away? Yeah, really. Jeez. Hopefully she hears this. Hey, Devin, you're a, a badass bee. Oh, did you, like, get, tell her about us? Oh, yeah. I guess you were there for, like, four hours. I was there for four hours. Oh, I felt... Oh, my gosh. I, I, I was planning on just listening to podcasts or, like, reading and trying to just zone out. But I find that talking is easier for me to zone out from... Or like disassociate from my body when I'm hurting. So mm -hmm. now it makes so much sense, right? <laughs> Courtney, why don't you shut up? Well, let me tell you. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Which are you guys going first? I don't Did you care. find your notes? What? Did you find your I found my stuff. Yeah, we, I don't have to cry. I found I have like so many uh, sources and like videos and like show for not for my tell. It's going to be great. All right. Well, what do we start I even wrote with, some uh, script? 
don't we what start the hell? Then? Okay. Yeah, mine's not that. Mine's not that heavy. It's pretty straightforward. Kind of. Kind of. I don't. I feel like we're gonna get ridiculous with Courtney's. So mine's yes. a mystery. Okay. Yes. All right. Well, let's let's do the. We can do the the book report first. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I did a book report without reading a book. I don't know. Anyways. Um. Okay. So I had told y'all in Discord chat that I was going to do the uh, infamous Marquis de Sade, who I am surprised at the number of people who don't know who that is. Really? So, yeah. Y'all need to get freakier. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what a, what a strange, strange man. Um, he has kind of been lost to history a little bit. When I went and was looking for books on him and papers and doing the whole research route, there there's only a few things. It's kind of surprising. So he's probably more known like in connection to the words Satan and Sadist, which is they're both derived from his name, actually. And in reference to the book that he the books that he wrote, he was absolutely not a nice man in any way <laughs> shape or form um and i find those types of figures fascinating particularly because of that kind of sanguine stain that they leave on history so when i was putting my list of reference references together i then saw a uh, an article about the death of dr charles silverstein and i like put the brakes on and immediately had to pivot um, they are not comparable in any way, shape, or form, but they have one thing in common, which I think is very important, which is that their most famous books were also their most controversial. So they were banned, burned, lauded, and reviled, but in this case, the mark that Dr. Silverstein left on history has a far broader reach, and it's one that I I'm seeing, and I think we all are, the four of us here, seeing strains of we're losing sight of of something, particularly in certain parts of the world, like the U.S. and Canada and the U.K., um, as we start this mad descent into another iteration of the satanic panic. Mm -hmm. um, so I thought he was someone, since he did just pass away in January, that we should really take a look at. I don't mean to do the... No, I kind of mean it. I halfway mean it to do the shake my fist at clouds thing here. But um, <laughs> there are a lot of young queer people who have not been told the history of some of the gay rights liberation movements that have happened in certain parts of the world. Um, so we're going to we're going to talk about that. And we're going to talk about Dr. Silverstein's role in that. And we're going to talk about The Joy of Gay Sex, the book that he wrote that instantly got banned and burned and all kinds of fun things. <laughs> and we're going to talk about a protest uh, tactic called zapping, which was oh. very smart. And we should be doing it again uh, because it is nonviolent and it makes a very good point. Mostly humiliating bigots, which I love. So <laughs> um, we should be doing maybe. all of those things. Quick question. Is yes. this the same Silverstein, Shell Silverstein, who wrote poetry? No. No. His name okay. is Charles Silverstein. Yeah. I was very confused because <laughs> I was like, where the sidewalk ends and the Marquis de Sade have an intersection. And I don't <laughs> quite know 
how or where that would be. So this makes sense that they are not the same person. <laughs> no, not even Sorry. not even remotely close. No, you are fine. It's uh it's funny that you say that because what I and it's funny too because also like nothing's really been written about Shel Silverstein, who was a deeply private man. Mm. Um just it's mostly known that he hung out with Hemingway a lot. Oh. So. Uh-huh. Really? Yeah, they were bu- they were buds. Yeah. That's a oh, interesting yeah. couple. Yeah, that's so oh, wild. I can, I can imagine. Just I just remember out. he wrote a really cool fart poem and it made me happy. And I had a picture <laughs> of a man's naked butt that he had doodled on the side. And it was amazing. It was amazing. Yep. He got famous actually writing for Playboy. So, oh. Oh, I did not know that. You know that joke about, oh, haha, I read it for the articles? Well, that's. He was the article guy? True. He was the guy who wrote a lot of the articles. Yeah. Wow. Huh. That's a yep. weird transition from writing for Playboy to being a children's author. To, and um, original having, I've heard some of the original recordings. I don't know if they're still around of when he did audiobooks of all his poems. So he would sing most of them. Oh. And play the guitar. And they were fun and funny. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. What <laughs> a heartwarming tangent. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. I that all that comes out of my children's librarian days because I found those recordings like they were buried on an old CD that we were still kind of circulating, but I think they were just so battered and anyways, I right. uh I listened to all of them and enjoyed them so much that I started performing them for kids. So Aww. <laughs> anyways. Adorable. Allie's past life as a librarian. Allie <laughs> <laughs> done so many things, so many things. And Kayla, the story about a woman trying to steal a book and shove it down <laughs> her pants, totally true. Um, Still good. Wild. They'll let you take it home for free. I just, I, yeah, I'm like, <laughs> why are you trying to, okay. And I just, I just remember standing there watching her thinking like, are you really going to get that like natural sciences coffee table book down your pants? I got to see this. <laughs> anyway. Absolutely wild. Oh, people. Sometimes. Um, so Dr. Charles Silverstein, as I was doing some research, I found this really cool article and it, it'll be in the, um, in the notes, but it was, um. It's called Enough is Enough, 10 LGBTQ plus elders share their words of wisdom. And there was one that really struck me from a man named Cleve Jones, who is still alive. Uh, He's an AIDS and uh, rights activist for uh, gay and queer people. And I think this is a, a nice moment to kind of look at how old but not old the history is of fighting for rights because uh, it's. I think it's important that we look at it. So he had said, if you just step us back a few paces and look at the history of our movement, it's a very short history. There were things that happened before the 1960s, but really what we call the LGBTQ community is really only about a half century old. So we can look at this and we can think, well, my goodness, the lives of people we now call the LGBTQ have really been transformed in the last 50 years. We've gone from a criminal class to largely accepted in most of the Western world. Marriage equality, protection for many forms of discrimination, much less violence, no longer considered mentally ill. Our lives have really been transformed. One can only imagine how dramatically our lives will be transformed in the next 50. He only said this a few years ago, and now we're seeing the opposite. 
we're seeing rights being stripped. We're seeing there was just in the Tennessee Senate, they just passed a bill um, that'll go to the House and probably will eventually be signed by the governor because it's Tennessee uh, that bans all drag in the entire. What? Yep. It's totally true. Just happened. <laughs> what? It's a gateway yep. drug to being gay. Amazing. It, it, yeah. And and it's so it's one of those things where it's so broadly worded. It's like, okay, so you could potentially arrest people for dressing up on Halloween. Um, you what? could arrest anyone who is not wearing super gendered clothing. It it it's so rotten and awful. And this is why I feel like I'm sorry, you young queers, you need to learn your fucking history because they are Every time we pass something that is for the benefit of people, particularly queer people, um, it, it's very easy to get it stripped away. And they're pecking at it. They're doing it in Florida. They're doing it in Tennessee. There's been drag bans. There was actually just something on Instagram from Jinx Monsoon um, about it. I had, I had posted it. It's really important that we pay attention to this yeah let me find their uh story here here we go drag bands i'll link this for y'all so you can see it um yeah this is a map of drag bands here you are um yeah dark green are the oh fuck are progressing the light green are where lawmakers have expressed the intention to file bills some bills age restrict attendance at drag shows other redefine adult businesses which mean most gay bars and even mainstream venues will not be able to get licenses they'll need to host drag shows it's bad it's that's bonkers. ridiculous yeah that's and like such a difficult thing to like find and reinforce <laughs> yep it's it's it it literally is so closely tied to what people like Dr. Charles Silverstein and, and the people in ACT UP in the 80s and what everyone fought for. And it's tied into the AIDS crisis and how that wasn't handled in the Reagan administration. This is not one person, but I picked him out because of what he was able to do. So ugh, this shit makes me so mad. <laughs> so it's like, I just, I, I feel like, um, He's earned his place rightfully in the annals of history, but I think we need to understand this better. Um, and it is actually tied, weirdly enough, to the research that I was doing and have been doing around homosexuality and gender expression around the turn of the century. Um, there's a, a really great book by uh, George uh, Chauncey. He's a researcher and an author called Gay New York. And I, I went back to my notes that I hand wrote as I was reading through it. Cause I was like, this is all, this is all tied together. So it's, it's interesting how this has changed around the turn of the 20th century, large cities, especially like New York had this really roaring queer culture, even if it was largely kept to like certain areas or streets or even clubs. Um, in New York, for example, there was a world of, quote, highly visible, remarkably complex, and continually changing gay neighborhood enclaves, widely publicized dances and other social events, along with a host of commercial establishments where gay men gathered. Uh, the rest of the population, for the most part, was largely indifferent. They didn't care one way or the other. This is, around, again, around the turn of the 20th century. Some were curious. Um, are you all familiar with the word slummer? No. no, I know slumming so, it, but not what a slummer okay. would be. It comes, it comes from that. It actually um, started up around that time where you would have 
So in New York, I'll use this as the example because that's kind of where I was. So you had um, uh, lower class people. I'm using the you know words as they were known back then, uh, who would go to saloons to try to find uh, other about gay men in particular. Lesbian culture was a totally different thing at the time. Um, you had upper crust people who could you know gatekeep their bathhouses or their clubs. And then you had middle class people, and a lot of them uh, were living in the middle of the city or around Manhattan at the time. And if they were uh, titillated, we'll say, by the thought of going to see a drag ball, uh, a lot of people in the gay community would call them slummers. They were kind okay. of there to gawk and gape kind of a thing. Um, <laughs> but for the most part, uh, most people didn't care. They were just going about their lives and they didn't, unless there was a man walking around in a full ball gown, didn't really think about it. Um so that was most of the response to the New York City gay world for much of like pre-World War II. There was some change during World War I um, and after, but for the most part, nothing really switched heavily to become the birth of what we see now as far as hatred and bigotry against queer people. Um, that didn't really happen until post-World War II when the entire world shifted. So... Uh, in the middle of all of this, Dr. Silverstein was born. He was born in 1935 in Brooklyn. So he saw all of this happen. He came of age during that time. He would have been 10 when World War II ended. Um, he saw the beginning of what became, you know, deep-rooted discrimination, which largely was fueled and still is by religious fervor um, and furor after the war. And then you have the counterculture that raged against the American ideals of family, God, and country during the post-war boom and then during the Vietnam War. So, um, after World War II, with the entire shift that happens in culture... Um, and you have discrimination and anti-gay laws were the norm eventually in the United States. Homosexuality went to be classified as a mental disorder, and before 1961, every state criminalized sodomy. This huge shift in about 50 to 60 years happened. Um, so in the middle of all of this, you have these college-aged kids like dr silverstein was who they're seeing their world shift so much and they're seeing laws these laws being used to justify all kinds of things like we're seeing right now with these drag bands and these book bands um back then the laws were used to justify sweeps of suspected gay bars and public parks and lgbtq people risked public humiliation job loss and even criminal prosecution for their homosexuality stonewall was a riot uh, not a protest. So um, during this time in the 60s, late 60s, early 70s is where we're at about now. Uh, Dr. Silverstein was in the middle of his education at the City University of New York, and he was working in clinical psychology. And then all of these culture classes clashes kind of come to a head. So out of what's happening, um, especially during protests during the Vietnam War, you have these gay and lesbian groups that begin to emerge. And a lot of them were originally attempts to show that gay people were orderly contributing members of society. And the protests were done in business attire and were done very quietly. That wouldn't last very long. <laughs> <laughs> because then we get to throwing pies in people's faces on public television and it's glorious. 
Um, <laughs> uh, I came, ran across an example of uh, the protests that were done in Philadelphia in front of Independence Hall, which is the town center, kind of center of government for the city. And gay men would go out there in their best business suits and would just quietly protest with signs. And they were trying to, I see what they were doing, right? They were trying to say, hey, we're already here. We're already integrated in society. You just want to push your laws into who we are attracted to and how we live our lives, kind of a, high, a how dare you. But it didn't really make a lot of impact. It was either ignored or made fun of. So protests started being stepped up. Um, Dr. Silverstein was at Rutgers during this time, and that's where he joined the GAA. It's the Gay Activists Alliance. He led student protests um, with the GAA, and he also led student protests against the Vietnam War. And then by 1973, <clears throat> something dramatic happened that would change the entire course of his career and really um, gay rights in the U.S. and Canada in particular. Um, because y'all adopted some stuff from us as we as uh, gay folks were were trying to to fight for just equal treatment. Um, so I have a, a longer quote here. Uh, it says on February eighth, nineteen seventy three, Doctor Silverstein made a presentation to the Nomenclature Committee of the American Psychiatric Association (APA). In December nineteen seventy three, the APA changed the diagnosis of homosexuality in the second edition of the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual for Mental Disorders, the DSM two. It was later in the DSM three R in nineteen eighty seven that homosexuality was completely removed as a mental disorder. I was two years old, and homosexuality was still considered a mental disorder when all that happened. So. Um, yeah. And how he did this was uh, later on, his interviews are incredible. There's recordings of them on the Rutgers website um, that you can listen to. He was constantly talking to podcasters and interviewers and, and trying to make people understand the severity of what had happened and what was still happening even today. So, <laughs> pardon me. He sent in a 2003 interview. I threw back at them their diagnoses over the decades and how funny it all sounds now and pointed out that their fun had hurt a lot of people. And that same year in 1973, he came out as gay to his mother. Um, the APA's 1973 diagnostic revision was the beginning of the end of organized medicine's official participation in the social stigmatization of homosexuality, was later written uh, by Dr. Jack Drescher in the journal Behavioral Sciences in 2015. So researchers have always been aware of Dr. Silverstein's impact. Um, we're just getting started. Buckle up, because this is this is <laughs> fucking wild to me. Uh, so I am. I will have visual aids here in a minute. That's so exciting. I love a visual aid. Um, so so after his testimony in front of that committee in 1973 his career just exploded and this guy i swear he never stopped like he never stopped working it was really impressive um he was fighting for something you know not just for himself but for everybody in the queer community um he'd already done so much by 1977 he'd earned his phd in social psychology from rutgers i wrote rhd because typing that's fun <laughs> he opened a private psychology practice only for queer people to provide them mental health help 
and he uh, did wrote multiple essays and papers that were widely published in different journals and anthologies. But in 1977, he and novelist Edmund White co-authored The Joy of Gay Sex. It was a 207-page book that served as a, quote, how-to guide for gay men, including chapters on blowjobs, cruising, and dirty talk, essentially a gay Kama Sutra with suggested sex positions like the crab, but also a cultural guide with non-sexual chapters on the realities of coming out, gay politics, racism, and more. It was completely sex-positive in every possible way. Uh, he would later write in his memoir that uh, Silverstein and White wanted the book to have, quote, a wider focus than just sex, that it should also advise the reader about life in the gay community, and the majority of passages in the finished book were of a non-sexual nature. Um, I do find it interesting. This was the one moment where I was like, yeah, maybe that wasn't like the best move, but it wound up, you know, working for them. Our, a lot of our modern ideals... And ideas on therapy are quite different now. I find it interesting that Silverstein was Edmund White's therapist when Crown, the publisher, offered him the job as co-writer. Uh, White letter said, the need to pay my rent exceeded my need for therapy. Which, fair. Wow. Yeah. A very different time. He's just, you know, 50 plus years ago. So here's the uh, original cover of the book which I think is just so interesting, next to what it was uh, then changed to. So the original's on the left, and then you have the revised edition on the right. Hmm. They had to keep it very plain for the sake of censors. Yeah. yeah. Originally in 1977, yeah. Um, so, and this... Again, as a reminder, this is at a time when gay people were beaten, arrested, locked away, and even murdered for being who they were. And so this book was just a scandal waiting to explode. But the authors didn't see it that way. They saw it as necessary and inevitable. And if they didn't write it, someone else surely would, and perhaps they wouldn't have the same level of care or intent. I also have some pictures from the original, which to us, this is like incredibly tame so you can scroll through those i they're very like hand-drawn sketchy they show uh joy and uh, physical pleasure and physical intimacy and sex um and at the time that was like that was so shocking to so many people um, so I wanted to share that because I, I think it's important to take a look at that and see exactly what was pissing people off so much. Come on, website open. I know it's yeah, it's taking so I long. <laughs> yeah, I noticed it was just being a butthead. Oh no! I'm like, why are you censoring me? <laughs> <laughs> well, while it's sitting there, um, I have a quote uh, that. From him, from Dr. Silverstein on the LGBTQ&A podcast. Cute name, y'all. This was just in 2021. And he says, when Ed, Edmund White, his co-author, and I first sat down, sat down to talk about the book and we made a list of entries, it was quite clear that the majority of the entries were not about sex. It was about community and it was about relating to each other. While most people think of all the dirty pictures, what we always thought our greatest contribution was is trying to write something that we would have wanted when we were kids, and that would be something more than just sex. That would be about community. Um, I will note, too, that Dr. Silverstein talked very openly about how he didn't have his first 
full-on sexual encounter with a man until he was in his 30s because of fear and because of culture issues and trying to find connections with people. Um, he did eventually um, uh, have a, a partner. I have a picture of them together, which is super cute. So that's Dr. Silverstein on the left, and that's him with his partner, William Borey. They were together for 20 years until William Borey died of complications from AIDS in 1993. That's so sad. It is. Did my audio just flip again? Yep. Yep. I'm having, I have a new drive in my computer and my. <laughs> Let me try this again. Hold on. And you're back. And then we're back. There we go. Yeah, it was doing something weird. Okay. So and the picture's finally loaded for me. Mm-hmm. Hey. Yeah, like you said, they're, they're pretty tame by what we know now. They really are. Yeah. At the time in 77, it was a shock. Um, the book was seized by customs agents around the world. It was burned. It was <laughs> but it did go on to be translated into five languages and went through two revisions. There was one in 1993. And again in 2006. Uh, it's worth noting that the, in the 1993 edition, in the horrific wake of the HIV-AIDS crisis, uh, it was uh, edited by Silverstein and another author, Felice Picano, to add in safe sex practices and newly relevant topics like writing wills. Um, and again, this was the same year wow. that Silverstein lost his partner of 20 years. Yeah. So it's in the middle of all of this, he was he was still trying to help the gay community and keep people safe. Um, mm -hmm. I will also note for you young queers out there, if you don't know about how horrific the AIDS crisis was in the 80s and early 90s, keep in mind that Freddie Mercury died of AIDS complications in 1993. Um, Freddie Mercury, the lead singer of Queen, and uh, he was the kind of one of the faces of what was going on, but it had been ravaging the gay and queer communities for, you know, what, 12, 13 years by that point. So, and the Reagan administration, fuck you, buddy. Fuck you. Hard. <laughs> they were horrible. There's a whole. There's a whole side of that that I won't even get into, but they did everything they possibly could to just let gay people die. It's horrific. Okay, so, oh yeah, it's super cool. I hate it when anyone's like, oh yeah, Reagan, he was the best president. I would like to no. argue with you on that mm -hmm. uh, quite a lot. Um, no. And his wife was even worse, so. Uh, I love it that they put Nancy Reagan on stamps too. I was like, nope, mm -mm. Zit. Mm, take it off. <laughs> so in the middle of all of this, um, Dr. Silverstein also started the Institute for Human Identity to quote, provide mental health services to lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender clients. He never once uh, eliminated or ostracized anyone from the wider queer community. Uh, he was always there for transgender people. He was always there for bisexual people, for queer people, for people who just weren't sure yet or didn't have a word to call themselves other than not straight. And um, even now there is a, a deep problem in the gay community and the queer community about, uh, you know, trying to pull. We have we have TERFs who don't believe that transgender people are people and all of these things going on. So. I don't know if you saw, but like, the, there was a whole thing uh, with J.K. Rowling recently where she was like, I think people just misunderstood what I was saying. 
Oh, fuck you. Like, bitch, you wrote a letter Seriously. with like a hundred other people or some shit. <laughs> like, yeah. You know what? Take that money and do something good with it. Quit being such a... Oh, God. Right? Anyways. Even if it's <laughs> take all of that money and disappear. That's Oh, that's that'd be good. great. You know what? That do that. Yeah. yeah, that'd be you great. Donate all that money <laughs> to like mm-hmm. AIDS research and fighting for gay and trans rights and it still wouldn't be enough, so... Nope. Nope. Take all the money, put her on a boat, send the boat off. We don't know where the boat's going. We don't want to know. That's fine. Just yeah, never good. hear from her again. Have you read Lord <laughs> of the Flies? Like, maybe we could do that, but with turps? Can we put them all on an island together and let them fight it out? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm into that. <laughs> That's not very ethical, Courtney, but it still feels right. Um, yeah, you know... I I had some feelings while I was writing this and doing the research because it's like it, we talk about, you know, nonviolence and 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 protesting and showing that we're people. I don't need to show anything as a queer person. I have a right to exist just as much as anybody else. So mm-hmm. part of me wants to be like, you know what? I think we maybe need to go back to being slightly more uh, aggressive. Mm-hmm. And our tactics, because it's very clear the other side of all of this doesn't give a fuck about what no. happens to us. They not even half. Us... No, no, they do not care. They don't care. If we were to all suddenly die of a plague, they wouldn't care. They would celebrate it. And I just, I, yeah, I'm over it. So, um, this is uh, Hallie's ranting on human rights. Thank you for listening. <laughs> Uh, fuck turfs and fuck everybody else who thinks bullshit is okay. It's not. Um, oh, okay. I totally lost my spot. There it is. Uh, so, <laughs> on top of everything else that he was doing, uh, Dr. Silverstein's career also included over the years being the founding editor of the Journal of Homosexuality. He became a member of the APA and made a fellow in 1987. He was a member of the division of Division 44 for the Society for the Psychological Study of Lesbian, Gay, Bisexual, and Transgender Issues. Frequent lecturer, traveled the world, um, authored eight books and countless professional papers and essays, won multiple awards from the APA. And I dug into his uh, work a little bit about how he was incredibly outspoken against conversion therapy particularly aversion therapy. Yes, aversion therapy is a very certain kind of conversion therapy, which is being exposed to a stimulus while pairing it with discomfort. It is essentially low-grade torture. Uh, It's cruel and inhumane on every level. So I had read an article, and he totally agreed that it was torture. Uh, There's a, a nice quote in here. Not nice, but it's a good quote, kind of rounding it up, saying... In 1995, he discussed the prospect of a cure for homosexuality to the New York Times, saying, at most, it allows a person to develop some kind of a relationship with a woman that most of the time will end badly. Even if it doesn't, the gay man invariably feels like a failure. And in 2012, he told the Gay and Lesbian Review Worldwide that the amount of damage that has been done by the psychological and psychiatry professions to help people change, I see it every day at my practice. I think aversion therapy is a form of torture. I think that psychiatrists of that period enjoyed setting up a sadomasochistic relationship between them and their patients. So fucked up. 
That's he messed did up. not yeah. mince words, which I also really appreciated. Um, he started speaking out against conversion and aversion therapy back in 1970s. Um, in 72, when he was a grad student, he attended a workshop at a behavioral therapy convention where the topic was his much-hated aversion therapy. So at this workshop, they were discussing giving gay men electric shocks and other stimuli to, quote, cure their homosexuality. Oh, yeah. Oh, this is yeah. This a good plan. Oh, yeah. We're so, so great to the hysterical women, so... Oh, my God. Yeah, yeah lobotomize them. It's fine. Yeah. It's like, the fuck? Um, so Silverstein was actually there not to learn, but to disrupt. And eventually, uh, his goal was to shut the entire workshop down. So this is where we get into zapping. This is what zapping looked like. And this is actually, I think, really smart. Um, so, quote, as, a leading psych as the leading psychiatrist, psychologist, sorry, took the podium... Silverstein, he was a grad student at the time, remember that. So, you, like, ballsy AF. Uh, he hurried to the front of the room and introduced himself as a gay activist. We're going to interrupt your presentation, he told the speaker. We'll give you ten minutes to speak, and then we're taking over. He made good on his promise, prompting chaos in the presentation room as angry protesters and participants began to debate the issue. This was called zapping. It was a form of protest that gay liberation activists started in the 1970s. I thought it was important to include this information because it's something, again, that we can probably learn from, especially as we're struggling against drag bands and people who think books with gay and queer characters are somehow linked to pedophilia. So, super fun. I love it. So, actually, there was a really cool National Geographic article about zapping. Um, so, quote, the tactic was deceptively simple. It involved sudden, loud, brief action. If it interrupted businesses or an event, all the better. Designed to instigate media coverage and disrupt the status quo, zaps were theatrical, boisterous, and impossible to ignore. They were organized on short notice and were a way to confront discrimination directly and remind the public of the existence of LGBTQ movement and the possibility of pride in a marginalized identity. In Silverstein's case, it was effective. One attendee later invited him to give a presentation to influential psychologists. Silverstein's activism helped prompt the eventual removal of homosexuality as a medical disorder diagnosis. So we have heckling, we have loud protests, we have pies to the face, shouting, papering appearances and speeches with literature, and generally making life uncomfortable for anyone speaking against the sheer existence of gay and queer people. I have a couple of examples of someone, some zaps that got some like big attention, which these are... I think they're very impressive. You probably wouldn't be able to get into like news studios the way they did then, but they made <laughs> what they what they had. They made it work. Like it's it's. I think it's pretty impressive. Um, so, quote: One of the most memorable zaps took place during a broadcast of the CBS Evening News in December 1973, in front of a live audience of 60 million viewers. Mark Allen Siegel, a member of a small group called the Gay Raiders and an accomplished zapper, jumped in front of the camera and held up a sign that said, Gays protest CBS prejudice. He was protesting major networks' depiction of LGBTQ people and the way their coverage ignored things like gay pride parades and equality legislation. It worked. Not only did the network begin covering LGBTQ issues, but Walter Cronkite befriended Siegel and began to report on the struggles and successes of the movement. Oh. It's wow. impressive as hell. Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, another note. Yeah, that'd be really difficult to pull off now. <laughs> yeah, you can not in that way, but there are other ways that you can do it. Things like I'm not, I don't, not encouraging anyone to do this. I'm just thinking out loud. Just note that um, you can, if if a bunch of right wing assholes who are upset about COVID uh, procedures and precautions can take over a state house with their nuttiness, I think people protesting for the rights of queer people everywhere can find a way to make their voices louder and heard because this is like they shut the Michigan State House down a couple of years ago. Stupid anti-vaxxers, crazy people who thought it was a great idea to, you know, threaten lawmakers. And then you have shit like January 6th. There are ways that you can be nonviolent and still be loud. It's very doable. Uh, and I think we can learn from the 1980s act up stuff, too, that we'll talk about here in a minute. Um, the one that I have a video of, of this zap, which I find hilarious because pies to the face are hilarious no matter what <laughs> they're in. Uh, this was in 1977, and activist Tom Higgins hit singer and anti-gay rights campaigner Anita Bryant, which might be a name you're familiar with, in the face with a strawberry rhubarb pie during a press conference in Des Moines, Iowa. Bryant responded by kneeling in prayer and asking God to deliver Higgins from his deviancy. A satisfied <laughs> Higgins told a gay community news correspondent that there is nothing more humiliating than getting a pie in your face. I have video of this. This is going to be good. It's pretty, it's pretty great. It's only like a minute long. And again, it's on YouTube. Y'all can watch it as you're listening to the podcast or afterwards but there is the pie to the face i need i need to watch this karen get pied yeah you do yeah. you do i Go really for do it. it's only like a minute long so try to do away with the homosexuals i hate it i hate it so much can can she pie her now oh she'll get it Fuck that Mary Kay face up. <laughs> <laughs> At least it's a fruit pie. Seriously. What a cunt. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. she was a she She's was a, a great fucking Just terrible bitch. Terrible Jesus person. Christ. Yep. I, I thought that was worth looking at. Again, there's there's such a this was, you know, almost fifty years ago. So there's such a huge shift now and we have you could get into social media and the internet and how all these things have changed it, but ultimately the message is still the same, which is that we exist. What the hell are you doing? Like real 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 godly to deny someone else their right to just live how they choose as long as they're not harming anyone like it yeah it never it never ceases to baffle me especially when they you know couch it in the name of god or whatever the fuck um so zapping went through the 1970s it lived on into the 80s even if pies to the face faded away and were replaced with groups like act up are you all familiar with act up mm -hmm. okay. no um this was this was a, an incredible movement. So ACT UP stands for AIDS Coalition to Unleash Power. And they did a series of powerfully disruptive demonstrations inspired by zapping tactics. 
So they did sit-ins, die-ins, which we'll get to in a minute. Um, raucous protests were a huge part of this movement. And this is where participants took it up a little bit. They cajoled city, state, and national leaders for not doing more to help the gay and queer communities while AIDS ravaged their friends and loved ones. From the Smithsonian Magazine. At a Stop the Church die-in at New York's St. Patrick's Cathedral, ACT UP's shock troops screamed, You bigot, you're killing us. And you have blood on your hands at Cardinal John O'Connor. They threw condoms into the air and refused to leave. ACT UP was responsible for infiltrating the Republican National Women's Club in drag, shutting down FDA offices, and chaining themselves to pharmaceutical company headquarters. They were uh, an impressive group of people. It was extremely diverse in New York. It was largely led by people of color in the queer and gay communities. Uh, there, there have been, and it, it, I could do a whole episode on on ACT UP and the things that they were able to accomplish and drawing attention to what AIDS was doing to the queer community and absolutely devastating. Um, it, it was, it was horrific. Um, so Silverstein was a part of all of this. He started a lot of what we now understand as the gay rights liberation movement. His work deserves to be enshrined and learned upon. He did die at his home in Manhattan on January 30th, 2023, at the age of 87. Um, he'd been diagnosed with lung cancer. So this is a name that I, I just kind of, to end, I didn't want his name. I don't think it'll ever be lost, but I, I didn't even know the full history, even though I was very familiar with him. So this was something where as soon as I had heard he passed away, I was like, well, we're doing this now because I think that, you know, more, more folks should definitely understand the, the work that he did. Um, so I'll end with this quote from Dr. Silverstein's friend, Dr. Barbara, I'm going to butcher your last name. I'm so sorry. Cape Tanakes, I think is how it's pronounced, um, in response to an interview from a reporter at the CBC. And the question was, do you think younger, younger generations in the community know him well enough? And she said, I don't know. Recently, there had been two documentaries out there in maybe the last four or five years that looked at different aspects of the gay rights movement, and he was in them. I certainly shared them with classes that I've taught so that young people would see these people who did the work 50 years ago. I think in a lot of movements, young people don't realize how recent it is and how tenuous some of the rights that were won actually are. And I would say she is completely correct on that. Yeah. So that's Dr. Silverstein. It's not the most it, most uh, heartening thing, but a very important figure in the um, in the annals of time for gay and queer rights. I I use the two interchangeably. Um, they've been used interchangeably over the decades and centuries. So also just to keep something in mind, because when I was doing that research for like turn of the century gay New York, it was really fascinating to see how those two words kind of morphed over the decades. And how at one point no one wanted to use gay. Um, they felt that was too, uh, it just didn't fit right. So they used queer and that it would flip back and forth. Language is weird. <laughs> yeah. Mm. It's alive, yep. right? And fascinating. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. Yes. When it's like we were talking in chat that at that one point about how around the turn of the 20th century, bisexual didn't mean attracted to two or more genders. It meant one person with half of the soul of a man and half of the soul of a woman. Mm. And so it was largely used in um, collaboration with people who 
uh, were called fairies at the time who dressed a little bit more effeminately. Um, they usually wore makeup. Um, today, uh, who knows what they would want to be called, but that was kind of a, a term used at the time along with fairies, which was a derogatory term in the 80s and early 90s, and now has kind of come back around again. So, anyways. We claim your slurs, man. Uh, yeah. That's how I feel about it. Yeah. Um, so what exactly was a die-in, though? I... So a die-in, um, have you ever seen protests where they put out, like, body bags and stuff? Oh, okay. Yep. Same kind of thing. It would be like, we're laying out one body bag for every ten people who have... Yeah. We're doing... We, we are pretending to, to be dead to show you the human impact of what you are ignoring or what you are you are promoting because you are actively killing people. Um, uh, you know, I'll be honest, I, I don't know how effective things like that are, but they definitely get attention and they get mm -hmm. news coverage, which sometimes is what needs to be done in order to make people understand. Cause people are awful and they don't understand the impact. I sometimes will say. Well, if it's not in your face, you don't see it. Yeah. Until it and, hits them personally, and then all of a sudden it's like, oh, you know. Yeah, for sure. That, that guy's dope. Mm -hmm. He really was. I listened to some of the interviews with him, and it, his message never wavered. And and I think that is truly impressive. That's somebody who like fully believed and wanted to do everything that he could for the community that he was a part of because he saw the impact of, I mean, he lost his partner to AIDS. Like I can't even mm -hmm. fathom how painful that would have been. And he kept fighting. He didn't, you know, go back into the shadows. He didn't stop talking. He kept fighting up until he died. Yeah. Well, it says a lot. Yeah, it does. Okay, Courtney, go off the rails now. It's time to go off the rails. Okay, I'm not serious or like heartfelt at all, and I feel a little irreverent. But um, yeah, I don't know, man. This is like entire like collection of an of episodes has been pretty serious. So it's that's true. Home. Mine's wild. <laughs> um, so uh, I was I was not sleeping at night, uh, as you do, scrolling on Instagram as you do, uh, looking at videos, and I get a lot of like. My recommendations are wild. I'll get, like, cooking videos, cat videos, and then, like, ARG horror stuff all in the same, like, five videos, right? Um, and I had this one really weird wheel come up, and it was a dad taking a walk in Anchorage, which is close to where I grew up uh, in Alaska. And it was late at night, and he's, like, talking. He's like, oh, I'm in the park with little one here, just trying to get them to sleep. And he, like unzips his jacket because it's cold and winter outside he like shows a little one and he's like zips it up and he's talking about dad stuff and then i was like oh how sweet like um it's sweet that you're taking your baby out on a little walk it's weird that it's like uh nine o'clock at night or whatever but cool and then all of a sudden you hear this really creepy noise um, and the guy looks around like he also hears it and he looks kind of freaked out and scared and he just kind of stops and looks around for a while and the noise keeps going. Um, it's a really like deep grating noise that sounds like a sci-fi movie or like a kaiju or something. And I was like, oh, this must be one of the creepypastas. Maybe there's a new ARG that's coming out, um, like an all, uh, 
altered reality game where they'll have parts of it be in real life. Um, but like I looked at his account and he was just a dad and I couldn't find any like ARG breadcrumbs. And so I'll, sh- I'll share you the real because um, I found it again. Yeah, Courtney sent this to me, and I was like, what the fuck is this? Yeah. Okay. So here's right. the reel, um, and maybe I'm we ready. can, like, sound clip yeah. it or something. Sure, I, I definitely will. Um, okay. And, uh, yeah, so I had never heard this before. I had never heard of this before. I know that ARGs are really popular where I grew up. Like, we did... Um, I'll let you guys listen for a bit before I talk more. Who only really calms down when it gets, uh, kind of gets you on walk here. What the heck? <laughs> right? Yeah, what the fuck? Yeah. So, um, yeah. I So I'm watching this and I'm like, okay, so maybe it's like, uh, some kind of YouTube project, maybe it's an ARG, maybe it's, like, trying to, like, because the, there used to be a game, and I can't remember the name of it off the top of my head, but it's what they used to build, um, Pokemon Go off of, and it was really, Ingress, yeah, it was really popular in, in where I grew up when I was in high school and stuff, like, people, like, got really into it, and I was like, maybe it's something for something like that. And then, like, I'm looking, and this is just a dude in Anchorage. And I, like, he looks really familiar. I might know somebody who knows him or something. But I was like, what the fuck is this? And he was like, have you ever heard of the horns? And so I sent it to a friend of mine who is, lives in Anchorage currently. And he is out late a lot at night because he's a DJ, not because he's a hiker. Um, And he was like, oh, yeah, haven't you heard these before? like obviously fucking not if i had heard that while i was outside i would have shit my pants and moved what the fuck <laughs> okay but like <laughs> ARG for like cryptids and shit would be dope but right? yes. oh my gosh. i was like what the fuck is this so um i i started doing a bunch of, and i sent it to to kayla and i was like what the fuck is this um and i did a lot of research and uh, apparently it's not um it's not uncommon <laughs> Um, but it, it also caused a lot of anxiety for me. Like, I had to take breaks doing this. Like, I would have to take, like, a good day in between, like, actually looking and listening at things. Because I would, I would get so anxious that I would be, like, jackhammering my legs so much that my computer would shake. Um, there's something about it that is just not okay. And so I was trying to figure out what the hell was going on. So I was looking around. There are two articles that were written about this uh, in the Alaska Dispatch in February of 2020. Um, The articles don't really give you an explanation. There's like a couple little like, oh, this is uh, background noise from the earth, also known as ambient earth noises. And people were like, I was sitting there like, I'm sorry, what's an ambient earth noise? That sounds like bullshit. (laughs) And it is. It's like this deep... So this the sound is like a deep grating noise. It's almost like the um like it reminds me of something that you hear in like Overfield Lane or something. It's really unsettling. Um mm. and so there's a couple you can you can look them up. You can look up how, horns of anchorage, trumpets of anchorage, sky trumpets and you can get all kinds of videos about it. And so I looked at some of these. I looked at the articles and people were like, "I hear this 
all the time. And I thought it was a snowplow because it does kind of sound like a <laughs> snowplow, right? Like grating on the pavement. Um, people said it was whales in the inlet because there's an inlet very close to Anchorage and maybe it was whale noises. Yeah. Yeah. They're like, maybe it's whales in the inlet just being loud. Cause it does have like that kind of deep, low melodic noise at times. Mm-hmm. Um, they said jets breaking the sound barrier because we do have an air force base right by cold and warm air mixing in the clouds. Now that one doesn't make any fucking sense to me, but clouds, I guess are a magical thing. So who knows? <laughs> Um, so there was a Facebook comment that said, uh, it must be sounds from outer space. Quote, I have my own theory that it could be quite possible that human species is evolving. And that's why we are beginning to hear sounds from space, maybe from other planets as they pass our orbit. And that's why it's not continual. She lives in Oklahoma. Oh my God. Okay. Um, she also hears the noise in Oklahoma. Oh. But joined the Sky Trumpets Facebook page. I saw that. I got really excited. That ended up being a dead end. I could not find the actual Facebook page. It's gone. No. Yeah. Um, someone also said someone playing a music poorly, like a musical instrument poorly. <laughs> uh, ice moving through Cook Inlet. Um, because I don't know if you've ever heard of ice, like, in um, the far north or in, like, Antarctica, when they crack and groan together. Like, it sounds similar. Ice moving through the sewage system. Road graders, which again is like the whole, like, oh, it's a fucking snowplow thing. Okay. Um, Seismic movement. Industrial noise. The magnetic pole shifting from north to south. (laughs) Waves moving through ice caves. Now, that one I don't know about. Um, Aliens. Okay. The opening of the seven seals is outlined in the books, the Bible's book of Revelations. Stop it. <laughs> uh, and cars driving over rumble strips. Now, they did have somebody who went and, like, isolated the noise from someone's recording. And then um, he, like, looked at it and put it on uh, a SoundCloud. So we got that. A link to that? Yeah, of course I have a link for that. Sure. Um, they did notice that they recognized a tritone, also known as the devil's interval, what in this. What the hell? Which is a real thing and actually one of my favorite intervals. Um, this person claimed that if I, you went out with a Vuvuzela up in the Glen Alps, which is a mountain range near us, on a little ridge, it would sound just like that. The chance to be fraudulent about it is so high. I just want to see a duplicate recording to make sure it's not just one person hearing one distinct thing. There's lots and lots of recordings of this and lots of reports of it. Oh my goodness. It legit does sound like a spaceship from like a sci-fi movie. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's Holy weird. Crap. Yeah. So I looked in on Reddit as well, trying to find um anything and reddit had like one post from 2020 and they mostly just pointed back to the adn articles um which weren't very cool um 
and like weren't very interesting. So then I just decided to start Googling it and I found more sounds, more video clips. So I'll like throw those in there too. And then I came across a guy um, in a, a news article or a, like a piece who actually is in British Columbia. And he says that he hears a hum in BC. So he, his name is Dr. Glenn McPherson. He's heard a low humming. He initially thought was something electronic in his house. You know how like when you're a lot of neurodivergent people can hear that like your electronics all the time. Yeah. So what he did is he went and he turned off the power to absolutely everything in his house and he still heard it. So he's gone on and made a website to track other people who hear the hum. And he's made a special box that you can sit in and he claims that it makes the noise go away. So there's, um, there's, uh, it's from Inside Edition. It's called The Source Behind a Mystery Sound Heard Around the World. And this, this, these sounds, some of them are different, but are reported all over the world. Um, some of them are more like screaming or cries. Some of them are more like horns. Some of them are humming noises, and it's very strange. Guys, what is going on? Strange sounds are being heard around the world. In Sweden, this sure sounds like a trumpet. In Michigan, another trumpet-like sound. But yeah, then they talk to this this Dr. Glenn McPherson guy because he's like the only one who seems to really have an answer for it that isn't aliens or God. So um, I'm linking his World Hum Map and Database Project and you can take a look at it there. It does, it is interesting to look at the map and get a little bit of a bias because it does seem like the majority of this humming sound is heard in the Northern Hemisphere. Now, I don't know if that's because... Like it's most it's being hosted by a white English speaking man. And so the places that have tended to like post about this have been in white English speaking areas. But yeah, you can also so if you hear the hum or if you hear anything, you can put it in there. Um, he's got like a whole form you can fill out. It's wild. Um, it's, oh yeah, my gosh, this is. Yeah, so um, the the strange sounds in the sky, sky trumpets or sky crakes, um, have been heard in the United States, Canada, Costa Rica, Russia, Czech Republic, Australia, and all over the place. And so, yeah, the no one seems to really know exactly what they are, but they do. They are like quite often related to a lot of people go to oh, it's revelations. This is the end of the world, which I think <laughs> is crazy. Now, the interesting thing is when I heard it and realized it was a real thing once i kind of like uh calmed down from the initial like what the fuck is happening it's 2 a.m and i'm watching this and this is a really upsetting noise um it made me think of the aurora borealis because believe it or not you can actually hear the aurora now the aurora when you hear it isn't quite it's not that noise right sometimes it sounds like a rushing noise or like a popping static noise um but like and i don't have i actually do have i like i do have a video of what it kind of sounds like so i'll share that as well (laughs) 
Um, but I didn't know you could actually hear it until I went to school in Fairbanks. And I learned you can actually hear it. But they also have a really cool place in the Museum of the North on campus where you can go and listen and be in this sound and light environment um, where they have taken music, basically, and they, like, correspond it to, um, like, nature. So it'll change, the sound will change depending on what time of day it is, the season, the phase of the moon, um, atmospheric haze, wind. You can hear the aurora if you go there during, uh, like, the northern lights, and you can hear earthquakes because it corresponds it. So that's kind of a cool thing. Um, if you're ever in Fairbanks, Alaska, um, there's not a whole lot to do there if you're not into winter sports, but definitely going to the Museum of North is worth it. It's not a very big museum, but it, like sitting in that room is very calming. That's really cool. Wow. Yeah. Um, and there's a lot of debate on whether or not you can actually hear the aurora or not. Um, but there's a lot, like, scientifically. Um, but there is, like, a lot of anecdotal evidence, both historically from First Nations people and from, like, settlers and colonizers after. Um, but, yeah, there's, like, actually a whole paper on whether or not the aurora makes noise. And um, the answer is, yeah, probably. Also, you can um, make an aurora in a glass jar. With oh, a bunch what? of equipment. So when I went to school in Fairbanks, uh, I was taking physics because I had to. And that was the only cool <laughs> thing that I did. Uh, and one of the only things I actually paid attention to was making a, you can like run, you put gas into a jaw, into a flask, and then you run current through it and it makes an aurora because it's just excited particles that emit light. Um, which is the scientific way of looking at it. There's a lot of, um, reverence around it in a lot of first nations cultures um so like and i'm not i'm not versed enough to talk even begin to talk about that but i know that there are um some cultural practices where you're not supposed to look at the lights or you're not supposed to photograph the lights um yeah that's all i know so yeah weird mystery uh go outside at night and listen for weird noises i guess please don't it's so weird why are people outside at 10 o'clock at night that's what i want to know Okay, but if you do hear a weird noise, send it to us. Yeah. If you, if you have it. heard this stuff, please send it. And, like, we'll try and, like, I'll ha I have all of our, the videos that I found um, on here. There, I have a couple more, I think. No, I shared them all. Um, but, yeah. It's that a weird. Wild. It's what? a weird, wild thing. Um, and I love that the Devil's Tritone was in there. Because that's one of my favorite um my favorite things in music that I learned about just because it's kind of a weird, wild thing and it makes people uncomfortable. Um, but also like everything is made up and we look for patterns. So yeah. Yeah. We are programmed that way. That's for sure. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh. What? This is, I, this, it does. Shit. It feels like Delta green made up <laughs> ARG bullshit and it's it life. It's kind of cool. Uh, I don't you love the fact that there are still so many things in the world that we can't explain, like with all the yes. all the brain power and all the science power, and there's still weird shit like this where we're like, what the hell? Yeah, we don't know. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, and that's the thing. I like I love science. I think science is very important, 
But people always look at science as if it's a monolith. And I'm like, no, man, it's just a bunch of nerds guessing all the time. And they know they're guessing. And they know that what they say is true could be disproven at any moment. And it's like living on the edge all the time. But also, like, don't fight with worm Twitter. (laughs) With worm Twitter? Oh, yeah. Like, I was telling my tattoo artist yesterday about, like, because she was asking, like, like, what things in science do people get really upset about? And I was like, well, you don't want worm Twitter and bird Twitter to get into it. And this oh. was in the, the before times, before Twitter was um, monetized the way it is. Yeah. yeah, you know, it's worse than it ever was. And uh, there was, like, a big, a big thing between worm Twitter and bird Twitter. And they got, and, like, like scientists were fighting. And I don't know what happened. I w- came into it so late. Fish Twitter was just like, I don't know what's happening, guys. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, if you want to start a, a fight with some scientists, just ask them which came first, the jellyfish or the sponge. Whew. Oh, my God. No, I'm not getting into that debate. I'm not that hardcore. <laughs> Silly things you think don't matter that, like, can cause, like, Year-long debates. Oh my god, I love it. I but love also, it. nothing is true, and everything is is. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's it, good perception. Times. It's it's yeah. really like yeah, 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 yeah. We're just here for a very brief moment in the span of space and time, and you know yeah. what? If you're gonna hear weird horns, like go for it. Go Fight for with it. somebody on bird Twitter. Go exactly. Do it. I think that's also the beautiful thing about science is that science could be changing, and it is not an absolute. And I think that's yeah. one of the reasons why I quote-unquote worship at the feet of science if I'm going to worship anywhere, because um, life is not concrete and static. It is dynamic and changing, and um, you need something that honors that. I disagree. I don't go out enough to see this dynamic This static? Thing. This uh, dynamics? <laughs> this is dynamic. your day always exactly the same? Nothing uh, ever changes? Up. I wake up, I take my pills, I pee, I go to work. That's fair. (laughs) Sometimes we do what we have to in order to get through, you know? True. That sounds like my day, honestly. I come home, I play Stardew Valley, I take a bath. (laughs) I can't take baths for six weeks, though. Oh, because of the, yeah. Because of my my P. Sherman. Oh, I named my tattoo P. Sherman. You got a giant salmon tattoo. I got a salmon tattoo on my leg, and I've named him P. Sherman. Nice. I can't show you right now, because I have... So I got that second... What's it called? New skin? Second skin? Derma skin? Yeah, like the Sanoderm stuff. I've never used it before. I've always been a saran wrap and prey girl, so (laughs) I feel very fancy. But also, I have an ink sack, and I am my own little squid right now. Yes, you are. (laughs) Yes, I... That is so hard to not poke it all the time. It's very, yeah, I was worried about <laughs> sleeping on it, and then I woke up this morning, I'm like, oh, look how gross it looks. <laughs> oh, it's, it is so satisfying to peel that off, and then to just see your tattoo, and you're like, oh, yeah. Yeah. I it, I didn't touch it, yeah. Oh, my God. Last night, we were, we got in the car, and it was the first time Jake and I had really driven together since I got my tattoo, and he reached over, as he does normally, and put his hand on my leg and scratched I almost broke his hand. (laughs) 
he no, didn't mean to. He didn't mean yeah. to. It's just an affection habit thing. But like, I was just like, I almost threw up all of my delicious dinner. No, that <laughs> yeah, was really bad. So yeah, tangents. Sorry, y'all. <laughs> I mean, like, if you're not here for the tangents, I don't know why you're here. If you're not yeah. here to hear about my ink sacks and P. Sherman, what are you doing here? <laughs> Get out. All right. Well, I think we can wrap up there. <laughs> no, you have nothing to be sorry about. Bye, Craig. Bye, Craig. Yeah, Holly. That's it for this week. Next time, I don't know what we're doing yet, but we'll let you know when we know. As always, links, pictures, and additional information can be found on our website at thehumanexception.com. To keep up with all things exceptional, be sure to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram at The Human Exception. Have a story that you want us to cover, want to tell us that we're wrong, or you just want to say hi, you can email us at thehumanexception at gmail.com. And to get on the fun, come join us on our Discord server. Link can be found on our contact page. Keep on being exceptional humans, and have a wonderful weekend. <laughs>